All right, everybody, why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm glad to be the person here kicking off uh, our afternoon's women's session. And I want to talk about today, from my own now 10 years experience and working with college students and many years of doing spiritual direction, particularly with young women, what I believe to be one of the greatest issues or problems or struggles that particularly young women today face. Paul alluded to it last night. We're going to get into it rather in depth today. And that is the problem of overthinking. Or, if you want to use fancy words, rumination. Rumination from the Latin word rumen, which is the cud that the cow chews over and over and over again. The individual who ruminates or is a ruminator is one who gets stuck in their brain, overthinking things. Mistakes they've made in the past, the shame they feel, wrongs done to them that they cannot let go of, or thinking about the future, worrying about what is coming. It becomes like this black hole. I described it in a homily a few weeks ago, and nothing can escape it. Not everybody struggles with rumination, nor all the time, but I have found that many young women this is a significant problem and a source of great anxiety. <coughs> if this makes any sense whatsoever, please raise your hand. All right, see so it. So today, I want to talk about not the roots of rumination. I think probably the roots of rumination come from societal pressures, but also from just sort of genetic predispositions. But how to overcome it. How to in a certain sense, very practically overcome the habit that we have of rumination. And I want to do it and explain it by using the example of three of my favorite Disney princesses. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> I wanted a better laugh than that. That was comedic. We're going to see. Now, I'm not a big Disney fan. I. I like Disney, I like Baby Yoda, I watched Disney growing up. But I, I, I've seen or I started hearing in 2013, 2010, girls go nuts over these movies, particularly Tangled, Frozen, and Moana. And I said, why do I want to watch this cartoon stuff of princesses? Until finally in discussing it with someone, I realized these people at Disney are not stupid. Talked about at Christmas, they understand the kinder schema. You have the big cute eyes and the big round head. They're going to sell toys. But that these movies were done deliberately in order to speak to the minds and hearts of young women. Yes, to make money, but also because there are real issues and I think the movies try to address and speak truth into. And so what I want to do is show how, if we can analyze these three princesses, 
And these three movies, and again, I've only seen each of them once, so some of you may correct some of my understanding of it, but at least I think we can get into a good discussion. So let's see our first princess. Look at that. We're going to go Moana first. We're not going to go in chronological order. We're going to start with the last one first. Moana. Moana is trapped where? On an island. And because of her parents and because of the culture, there's this fear of what's beyond the reef. She doesn't go beyond the reef. She's told we've got to stay on this island. The second princess. It is Rapunzel from Tangle. What do we see with Rapunzel at the beginning of the movie? She is trapped where? In her tower. She doesn't know the world outside of her tower. She's stuck there, and she is miserable. She tries to create ways to escape, but she's stuck in the tower. And third and finally, our favorite, the ice queen, Elsa. <laughs> Elsa is trapped and living in her ice castle. She's going to do it all herself. Let it go. I'm going to live in this castle, and I'm not going to talk to anybody except my big ice monsters or whatever. What do all three share in common? They're trapped in a castle and a tower on an island. I think this becomes a real sort of allegory for overthinking you mean trapped in your head. They're all trapped. Now, they're all trapped for different reasons. They're all trapped for different reasons, which again would sort of spin out to separate talks. Elsa's trapped because of shame. Because of the shame that she has, self-hatred for the mistakes she made when she was a kid. And so instead of dealing with it, she lets the shame, as Paul was talking about, dictate her identity. Rapunzel is trapped because of her crazy, borderline personality mom, or whatever she is. And a lot of young women feel trapped because they have parents who have personality disorders and are driving them nuts. And they will not let them do anything because they become emotionally dependent on their children and they're trapped. You want to understand what a borderline personality disorder is? Go look at that crazy woman, that witch, and that show. You could also watch a few other movies, but we won't talk about that now. And then finally, Moana is trapped on her island because of the fear of the unknown, because of not knowing what's beyond the border, because of this fear that is generated in her culture and in her mind. And so oh, we can all have different reasons that contribute to our overthinking, our getting trapped in our brains. But we're here not to look at the reasons, but how to escape it, how to go beyond rumination of being trapped in our own minds. So what, though, helps these three heroines escape their towers, escape their isolation? They all have things in common. Let's look at the first one. I don't know what the first one is we're going to come up with. All right, so there's Moana. 
But Moana takes the little, what is it, the heart of the sea, what do they call it? And they sh puts it in the, the eyeball or the heart. Can't remember. The big the heart into the heart of the big volcano monster. <laughs> Tafiti, what's her name? Tafiti. She had to risk her life in order to save the people on her island who were dying because of this climate change or disease or whatever that was killing it. It was ultimately the big volcano monster. And so she had to risk her life, get away from the rock in order to do it, and shove the little heart thing into the heart. But she had to risk her own life, her own well-being, and facing this fear in order to save the people she loved and to save her island. What's the next one? There's Rapunzel. So, I forgot exactly how this works, but... <laughs> Goatee boy, Eugene, <laughs> is trapped. And so she has to allow Eugene to cut her hair and thus lose her magical healing powers in order to save him. In order to save the one that she loves, she has to sacrifice herself, her, her that great gift that established her identity. She had to be willing to lose it, to give it up. And then finally, our favorite, Elsa. Her sister is getting frozen because she had the heart stuff that was going on. <laughs> and what happened? She had to leave her ice castle in order to go and cry on her so that she, <laughs> she this is me explaining Disney. <laughs> In order for her to be able to live, to be able to save her. But she had to show that love, to give the love to her sister in order for her to be able to live. So what happens in all three of them, there is an escape to freedom, getting out of the tower, in order to show love, particularly a self-sacrifice for others. To get out of the head and get into the heart in order to specifically love others, and not just emotions and feelings, but really putting the other first and sacrificing themselves. So ladies, this is primarily the way to do it. You can go read books, and I think that's good, about how to overcome rumination, but really, the way to escape the trap is like the Disney princesses. We've got to get out of our heads by loving others and be willing to show love and sacrifice ourselves for others and putting them first. I think we've done it in a zillion different ways that leave it to your creativity. But this is what has to happen. And it can't be just done once. It can't be done tomorrow because we remember Father's talk. This has got to be a habit that we build up over and over and over again. Otherwise, we're going to get drugged back to our island, to our tower, or to our castle. The habit of putting others first, of loving others, and making sacrifices. 
But here, though, is what sort of dawned on me today as I was trying to, like, how do I land this plane? How do I bring this all together? Is that because of their act of self-sacrifice, their act of love, going out of the tower, each of them comes to find or embrace their true identity. We want to call it their vocation. Who they really are and who they are called to be. Elsa comes to embrace her identity as the Ice Queen, as ruling over the land of reindeers and stuff. What's the land called? Arendorn or whatever. <laughs> Aragorn. She becomes the ruler. She claims her identity. She's the queen. Rapunzel, she doesn't even know what she is. She's dreaming about lanterns and stuff. And she's the princess. She had been lost because this crazy borderline stroller is keeping her in a tower. But she's the princess. And she lives her identity even though she doesn't have her magical powers anymore. And she's dating this guy who has a goatee. <laughs> and then finally, Moana is able to go back and become the princess queen ruler when she puts the little thing on the rocks and saves the island. She embraces her identity as queen and sort of savior. And as I was thinking of that, it reveals to me a deep truth of another issue that I see so many young women deal with that's intimately connected to rumination. Besides ruminating about what others have done to you or what you've done in the past, most of the time I see young women ruminating about the future. What is my life going to be like? What is my vocation? What does God want for me? What am I supposed to do? And overthinking these questions, particularly with a fear that somehow they're going to make the wrong decision, that they're not going to be perfect, that they're going to miss their boat, they're going to be lonely all their lives. They're going to be miserable, whatever. And they begin ruminating it, ruminating over these questions, which simply makes the question and the worry worse. These are valid questions. We need to be concerned about our future. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think at all. But overthinking them doesn't do any good. And so this is what the princess teaches. Ladies, you're not going to figure out the future by overthinking it. You're not going to use your brain in order to resolve all of your worries about the future. That's the exact opposite way. To overthink and to sort of solve it as a problem in the brain is not going to be a way to find and embrace your vocation. And so there's a book that I read this summer, which I don't necessarily advocate you reading. You can if you want. It's called Unrepeatable. It's from the Catholic perspective, and there's some good ideas in it. But these two psychologists talking about helping people find their vocation, not with a big V like priesthood or religious life, but finding their calling in life. And there's some good ideas in there. And there are a few takeaways that I like. The book's called Unrepeatable, but there's one quote that I love. And I think it sums this up perfectly. The author says, people don't know their vocations. Again, we're not talking about priesthood, religious life. We're talking about vocations in general. People don't know their vocations by thinking hard and hard enough about them, but through taking action, especially acts of love. A vocation is our unique way of giving and receiving love in the world. So there is no other way to fully understand it except in and through love and action. Not love in theory, but love in action. And so what happens, I wonder what God wants me. I'm going to overthink it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think. 
We need a process of prayer and discernment and counsel and direction. That's all very, very important. But the risk is, particularly for young women today, is to get trapped in that and never go out of yourself. But if this quote is correct, and if our sweet Disney princesses teach us anything, the true way to figure out what God wants you to do is not by a process of deduction, but by building up the habit of loving others, being intentional with them, and getting outside of your head, and learning to allow the heart to reach out and transform others. Does this make sense? Now, we love the Disney princesses. We love the movies. But who is the best example of this? Who gives us, in history, I think, and particularly as Catholics and as women, and even for men, the best example of everything we've talked about? Mary does. Our Lady does. How is this? Because so often we don't think about this, Our Lady, from sort of a human perspective. Here's this 12, 13, 14-year-old girl. She wasn't praying hard for the angel to appear. Just like every young woman, she was hoping that maybe she could play some part in the Messiah coming. She was genuinely surprised by the angel. It wasn't like a genie. She wasn't rubbing the lamp. The angel appeared. She was surprised, and she was scared. And here's the angel saying, you know what? You've been chosen to be the mother of God, the, the Savior. What do you say? Offering her the invitation. And even though she didn't fully understand, how is this possible? I've not known a man. Don't worry, with God, everything is possible. And so Mary's response, even though she did not understand how this was going to happen or what was going to happen in the future, was fiat. Be it done unto me according to thy word. I trust. Mary didn't understand. The angel didn't say, this is the next five things you have to do in order to fulfill your mission. The angel left. So what did Mary do after the angel left her? my goodness, what's going to happen next? What do I do? What's the right thing for me to do? I'm going to sit here and worry about this for the next five days. I'm going to give myself an ulcer. No. <laughs> scripture doesn't say that she ruminated over it. doesn't say she thought about it. doesn't say she prayed about it. And again, Scripture is not saying that we shouldn't discern. What did the Scripture say Mary did immediately, with haste? Left to go to Elizabeth. Because she found out, oh, wait, my old cousin's pregnant. Let me go help her. <laughs> With haste. Putting others first, getting outside of herself in order to show love as service. And so Mary did that. She lived it. She got it. She didn't live in her tower. Mary never did that. She was always out there. She wasn't overthinking things. She pondered things in her heart, not ruminating in her head. So there's a way to pray over it, which would be a whole separate talk of how we can overcome rumination through prayer and contemplation. But she went out to love. And from that, stepping out, going on the way, jumping out of the plane with the parachute, her vocation gradually began to be revealed to her. And so what happens? She hears the words of Elizabeth, which begin to say, oh, wait a second. I am blessed. This child is blessed. What's going on? pieces began to come into play as she stepped out of herself in service. Through Elizabeth, God revealed what the next step was, who she was. And Mary took it step by step 
staying there for three months. Imagine what other stuff she learned as she continued loving others and not ruminating. And so I'm going to bring this to conclusion. Look, I'm going to get done in much less than 30 minutes. I did not see Frozen 2 yet, although I did see Little Women, and I loved it. I loved, I loved it enough to buy the book. Fantastic. But I also love Lady Bird, and I think Greta Gerwig is a great director, although I still will probably say 1970 is a better movie, but we're not going to talk about that. I loved it. But I'm going to go try to see Frozen 2 if it's still in the theaters. If it's not, I'm going to watch it on Disney+. Plus. That's how I watch The Mandalorian. But when I've been talking about this to, to different people, this idea throwing it around, they say, Father, this is great. It's just like Frozen 2. So don't ruin Frozen 2 for me. But I did a little reading, and they all talked about the plot and the song that Elsa sings into the unknown. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin the movies for you either. But basically, from what I gather, Elsa's the ice queen, and then she starts hearing this siren voice that's calling her to go into the scary enchanted forest. And so she sings this song into the unknown, which sort of encapsulates what we're talking about here. The future is the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen, but there's that voice calling us, and we have to overcome our fear and go into the unknown, not by yourself, with others. That's a whole separate talk. <laughs> but to be able to go and face your fears in the future and what's going on, to listen to that siren song. The song is not as good as the other song, but I still love the, from the first one. I still love Moana's song the best. That is my favorite song. Does anyone agree with me? Okay, like a few people up here. We'll get there. So what is Mary's Into the Unknown? What is Mary's song? I will propose that it's the Magnificat. Mary's Magnificat. If she has to go into the unknown. She has no idea what is happening next. Joseph, who doesn't know anything, is getting more revelation than she is. And so if we look over, and we will look over Mary's Magnificat, she says her soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, but she goes through and talks about all the things God has done for either her or for her people and why she shouldn't be scared. Why there's nothing to fear. The Lord's taking care of us for this long. Don't got to worry about the future. Instead, her soul glorifies the Lord in the great things that he has done for her and for others. And so this is my homework, which I may have given to some of you before, which I think is a pretty great homework. And this is going to sound so cheesy, something like you would never expect me to, to tell you to do. Make your own Magnificat. You can read Mary's. I'm all for that. Make your own Magnificat. Make your own into the unknown to go over and sort of make the list of ways in your life that you know God's worked, that you know he's provided for you, that you cannot doubt. Write them down. And you can even post it right by your window, your, your mirror when you get up. And so whenever you start doubting and fearing the future and getting trapped in your head, go back and read your Magnificat. This is what the Lord's done for me in the past. Why is he going to abandon me now? Why should I be fearful of the future? Because he's guided me this far. All right? So we're going to close so Ms. Robin can talk. And y'all can start 
being impressed at my Disney princess knowledge, <laughs> by going ahead and simply praying together Our Lady's Magnificat. You all could just pray with me. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his holy servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. <clears throat> the Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>